by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we're on a series, Daniel, and it'll be the fourth part tonight. Tonight's message is called Pressure to Bow. In other words, Daniel's being pressured again. So far, we've been through, this will be the, th- the third chapter, and it seems like Daniel is always being pressured to bow. This time, O King Nebo, as we begin to call him, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has set up a 90-foot statue, a gold statue. I'd like to melt that sucker down. <laughs> Nine foot wide, 90 foot tall. And he put it out there on the plains, and he said, anytime my band starts to picking, y'all get to grinning, hit the ground, start to worshiping. And uh, whoever don't worship this statue that I have set up, I don't know why he wanted them to worship a statue, this guy's. But uh, he said, whoever don't worship that statue, I'm going to throw them into the fiery furnace. Last time it was a dream he had, you remember, he wouldn't tell anybody what the dream was, but he wanted them to interpret. This, this king is a little hard to deal with. But anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys, they won't bow to this golden statue. Why? Because they serve the same God we do, and we know that's not right, to bow to a, a statue. And so the king's astrologers, here comes these guys again, if you remember last week, what a handful of these guys are. They read on the three, and uh, they're taken before the king. And we pick it up in Daniel chapter 3. Verse 15. This is King Nebo talking. He says, I will give you one more chance to bow down and to worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power. So not only does he insist and threaten them, but he mocks their God. What God will be able to save you then, huh? Who is this King Nebo? Can you cut me down just a little bit? I'm scaring myself. I want to get loud on my own. Who is this King Nebo? Is, uh, does he represent the devil? You know, many times you see in the Old Testament, you see people that are type shadows, so to speak. You can kind of see their character. Is, is, does he represent the devil? I got to thinking, I don't think so, because in the previous chapter, he had bowed down and worshipped da- uh, Daniel after he interpreted his dream. I knew the devil wouldn't bow down and worship anybody. He had a hard time bowing down and worshiping God, remember? And then, if you see later on in this chapter, you'll see that uh, King Nebo bowed. Well, he, he says that uh, Daniel's God is the true God, and we know the devil Ain't going to acknowledge that. So I don't think he's a type shadow of the devil. You know what I think? I think he's just simply representing the fickle, self-serving human powers that often govern our world today. Right? Now, I've already mentioned he's kind of... <laughs> so I'm just talking about politicians for a moment. You know, But uh, they, they can be fickle. Uh, you know, the, our fads here in America... The things that we go through, one moment where we got Chia Pets, the next moment, who knows what we're coming up with, you know. We're always coming up with some new thing, and uh, so is King Nebo. So I think he's, he's just representative of the, the culture of the time. Whatever he feels at the moment, he does, and if you don't do it, he wants you to bow down and do what he says do. The powers that be, so to speak. But what do you do when you're called on the carpet to a guy like this? Because one day you may be called, you know, on the carpet to see your boss about, you know, that scripture on your, your screensaver or something. I've, I've had that happen. Or uh, you witness to somebody in the break room and you get called into the carpet. You know, we don't do that here, right? <laughs> Will you be driven by fear when you face King Nebo in your life or will you be driven by faith? 
I think the majority of Christians today, to be honest, would be driven by fear. I think if the Christians today would, were all driven by faith, I think this thing would already be wrapped up. I think we would already have evangelized the known world and we'd be out of here. I don't think there would be unbelievers still walking around in South Haven saying that they hadn't heard about Jesus because we're in the middle of the Bible Belt. And I think there's more than enough of us to get out there on the streets and tell people about Jesus. Do you agree? Paul Chapel says, fear of man. Now, do you understand what I'm saying when I mention that term, fear of man? You're scared of what people are going to think. You're scared of what they're going to do. You're scared to lose your reputation with people. Fear of man, he says, is the enemy of fear of the Lord. The fear of man pushes us to perform for man's approval. When you're scared of man, you're trying to impress them, right? It pushes us to perform for man's approval rather than according to God's directives. So we're more concerned about what people think than we are what God thinks. Jesus kind of addressed this in Luke 12, verse 4. He said, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those that want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. He says, fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. So he, he, God takes it up a notch. <laughs> Man can only do something in this realm. But God can do something for all of eternity. And that's what you need to be concerned about. I think you'll see as we talk about this tonight, it is a, the, the message is really about perspective. You'll see that everything deter, is, is determined by what perspective you're seeing. See, we're not supposed to, as Christians, we're not supposed to be little chickens down here pecking in the dirt. You know, We're supposed to be soaring over mountains of defeat on wings like eagles. We see from a higher perspective. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places, and we should see things the way he does from an eternal perspective and not just the here and now. Some of us can't see past uh, lunch, you know, or the next meal. And uh, our bank accounts prove it, you know. We got just enough to pay the light bill this month and so forth. But anyway, before I interrupted myself, Oswald Chambers, you may have heard of him, a great Christian from times past. He said, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. That's really the only fear that a Christian should have. If, you, if, if God, you're in awe of God, and you love him with all your heart, you fear him, then that, that'll begin to drive out all other fear, right? First John 4.18 says, Perfect love casteth out fear. And God is a perfect love. And if you fear him and you love him and you serve him, you surrender to him, really, you could care less what else happens to you if you've got that eternal perspective. Anyway, he says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Have you noticed people that have no fear of God always looking over their shoulder? <laughs> they drive by the cops and get down, man. Here they <laughs> you know, they're, they're driving, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Paranoid, you know. They're, boy, you talk to them about end times. Let's change the subject, <laughs> Right? A guy named John Witherspoon said this. I got three quotes. I'm using them all at once. I'm getting them out of the way. He said, it is only the fear of God that can deliver us from the fear of man. Because if you don't have fear of God, you're going to fear man. But if you have fear of God, you won't fear man. So what is your fear? What's in your wallet? So to speak. Because we can be driven by fear, and it's, and it's crucial that we understand our predicament. We got to start where we are. We got to know where we stand, right? So let's examine a few others in the Bible that denied Christ and see what tripped them up. Maybe we can learn something so that we won't be tripped up. Maybe we can make some adjustments. There's an idea. Don't just accept things the way they are, but be willing to make adjustments along the way. If you would be honest with yourself, give an honest evaluation. 
of yourself, then you could see what needs to change. Uh, I thought about the disciples in the garden. You know, they all, they all ran and deserted Jesus in his hour of need. And I think that was pretty straightforward there. That was just fear for their life. That was just a straight-up fear of being hurt, you know. Say fear for life. That's one of the things. Another time, it mentions the Jewish leaders. Je Jesus was talking in John, uh, I mean, it was talking about Jesus in John 12, 42. It says, many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praises of God. So they had a fear that they weren't going to get praised by other people. They, they were worried about what people thought. And so that was their fear, that they were going to get kicked out of the synagogue. Man, it's going to ruin my reputation, you know. I'm used to the good seats at the banquets and, you know, my flowing robe. They might take my flowing robe from me, you know, all my distinction and my honor if I was to come out and acknowledge that I believe in Jesus. Human praise can be a, a downfall if, if uh, we love the, the praise of humans more than we love the praise of God. I think about the story about King Saul. You remember him? He had, uh, he had disobeyed God several times. And God had made him king, but God finally told the priest Samuel, he said, go tell him, I'm taking my, I'm taking my spirit from him. He is not doing what I told him. So, king, so uh, this, the priest Samuel went and told Saul, look, God has taken his presence from you, and he's going to take your kingship. Well, you'd have thought he would have fell down on his knees and repented. And knowing God, he probably, if he was sincere, what would God have probably done? Might have restored him and said, okay, we'll give you another shot. I, that's the way I know God, if you're sincere about your repentance. But no, he's like, well, okay, okay, but Samuel, at least come out here with, the, with me in, sh in front of the people. He's just concerned about what the people think. He has no fear of what God thinks. He just lost his kingship. Lost the anointing, but that doesn't seem to bother him. And Samuel's like, no, man, I'm, I'm out of here. You don't understand. He rips his robe, saying, come on, please. Oh, I'm sorry about your robe, but please just come out here and show the people that you're still with me. And see, some people, let's be honest, some Christians just trying to make a show of things. They just want to, yeah, you're with me, right, God? And God hadn't been with them in a long, long time because they ain't with God but they want people to think they are, that he is. Saul just wanted to look good before the people. You can't serve both God and applause. You know, you need to just chalk it up. If you're going to serve the Lord, you're not, you can't be a glory hound and serve the Lord. He's not going to share his glory. You might as well just humble yourself. If you're going to serve God, you can't be prideful and serve God at the same time. It just don't work like that. You're going to have to humble yourself, give all the glory to God, not be seeking it for yourself. Anytime self gets involved, God backs up. Have you noticed that? Galatians 1.10, Apostle Paul said, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. In other words, if I just wanted to please people, I wouldn't be trying to be a servant of Christ because everything he says is backwards to that way of thinking. And then there, there's the, the rich young ruler, you remember? God, Jesus told him, go sell all you have and give to the poor and then come follow me, but he couldn't do it because, man, he had a lot of stuff. And he walked away sad. He could have walked with Jesus, you know, but the fear of losing his stuff. And you can't serve both God and mammon either. Mammon meaning money. So fear of losing your money, fear is going to cost you money to serve God. You know, all those kind of things keep, keep people in bondage. Let's turn to 2 Timothy and let's uh, look at an example that the Apostle Paul had with his ministry team. 2 Timothy 4.
in verse 9, he's talking to his son, his son in the faith. It's not his real son, but it's, he's like his spiritual father. And his son, Timothy, he says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life, and he has gone to Thessalonica. <laughs> he gone. Man, we, we were doing this thing together. Now Demas, he gone. He, wanted, he deserted me because he loves the things of this life. Serving God just got too hard for him. I can feel Apostle Paul's pain because there's been times where I've counted on people in the ministry or counted on people at my job or something. And when it got tough, man, they were gone. Went back to his lazy boy, I guess. I guess he didn't know 2,000 years his name was going to be in print in a little thing called the Bible saying that he deserted the Apostle Paul, saying he gone. <clears throat> and it goes on to say, Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Don't say that they, you know, deserted him, but they're, but they're gone. He says, only Luke is with me. Then he says something very interesting here. He says, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in the ministry. The reason why that's interesting is because Mark is the one that went with Paul and Barnabas on an earlier mission trip. And Mark deserted Paul and Barnabas back then and went home. And, and uh, the next time he went to go on a mission trip, Barnabas wanted to bring Mark again. And, and Paul said, uh-uh, I don't like that kid. <laughs> he deserted us last time, and the contention between Paul and Barnabas got so strong that they had to part ways over Mark because Mark you know, had deserted him. And here we are in Paul's last letter, and he's saying, bring Mark because he'll be helpful to the ministry. He had changed his thoughts about Mark. That just gives us a little hope, right? Because maybe you've deserted your post in the past. Maybe you were strong in the church and doing something, and you backslid, and we hadn't seen you for three years, you know, and then you finally came back or something, you know. But we, you know, we're going to miss it. I've missed it. We've missed it in the past, but here it tells you that, that you can still be profitable to the ministry. Just come back and just start doing the things that you know to do. There's hope for all of us. And, uh, of course, you know, the main one that we think about when we think about somebody denying Christ is who? Peter, <laughs> right? He denied that he knew Jesus three times. And that's the hardest example for me to grasp. You know, this guy walked with Jesus. He, he was Jesus' number one disciple, really, if you, if you study it out. He was the one Jesus invested the most time in. He was everywhere Jesus was. He was the loudest talker. He was in the middle of everything. If anybody you think would have been able to remain faithful, it would have been Peter. And Peter sure thought he was going to remain faithful. Even after Jesus told him that the cock's going to crow three times tonight before you uh, before that you're going to uh, deny that you even know me three times and then then Peter said in Matthew 26 35 no Peter insisted <laughs> even if I have to die with you I'll never deny you and it's interesting it says all the other disciples vowed the same and they all fled they all deserted him if these men who had left everything that they had, their families and everything, to walk with Jesus for probably around three years. If they couldn't remain faithful in a test and a trial, what hope is there for us? Well, there's got to be hope, right? There's got to be a way to do it because people have done it and people are doing it right now. So let's discuss how we're going to be faithful. Turn to Matthew 24. We'll see what Jesus has to say. Is it important that we remain faithful? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of teaching out there today. Is Hey, we're once saved, always saved, and, and you're good to go. And no matter what you do now, what do you think about that? I mean, once you got your ticket to ride, I mean, just do what you want to do, right? <clears throat> well, let's see. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 9, 
he's talking about the end times. He just got through saying that there'll be earthquakes and disasters and famines and wars and rumors of wars and all this stuff. They'd ask him what would be the sign of the end times. <coughs> Verse 9, it says, Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Oh, well, just tell us like it is, Jesus. Boy, I can't wait to sign up. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Did you know what you were getting into here? <laughs> and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere. Have you seen any of that? And the love of many will wax cold. Then in verse 13 he says, But the one who endures till the end shall be saved. What does that mean? What does that mean? Is that important to endure to the end? He says that's the one that's going to be saved. Is he saying that if I don't endure to the end, I won't be saved? What is he saying? Okay, you're, you're probably thinking, well, Pastor, what are your thoughts on once saved, always saved? I don't know. I don't know. In my heart, I believe, once saved, always saved, if you're truly, truly saved. But in my head, I see scriptures that lean both ways. Maybe God wants to leave it ambiguous. Maybe he wants you to figure it out for yourself. Maybe he just wants you to know to remain faithful to the end, then you won't have to worry about it. I don't know. I don't know. I would sure hate to tell you I knew and I didn't know. I didn't tell you wrong. But here Jesus said, the one endures to the end shall be saved. Maybe he just means saved from that situation. Maybe he doesn't mean your salvation. I don't know. But I think it's important that we remain faithful to the end either way. Either way. You might remember a long time ago, I told you a story. The first time I ever ministered at a church, at this church, at the, the old Colonial Hills building, uh, Pastor Buddy asked me would I share a testimony. I told him a, about a dream I had, and I gave this testimony. It was, I'll just cut to the chase. It was, it was this wild dream that the whole city was going haywire and everything was blowing up and burning and stuff, and it was just like Armageddon going on. I don't know what was just crazy in my dream. And then this little train came by. And if you were a Christian, you could get on the train. If you weren't, you couldn't get on the train. Well, we all, I was gathering people up all over the place because I was a gung-ho Christian. I, I was a new Christian when I was telling this story. And so I was getting everybody on the train, and my mama, she was coming slow, and I'm trying to drag her on. Come on, mama, you know, <laughs> like today, you know. <laughs> I'm glad she's not here. Okay. But I get her on the train, and, and, uh, we're on this train, and pretty soon we're, we're putting out of the, the city. And it goes out into Green Hill, Rolling Hills and stuff. And I realize that this is the rapture. Now, I know this is not, you know, the real deal. This is a dream I'm having. Bear with me. And so we, we get out in the peaceful countryside, and I realize we're on our way to heaven. You know, we're, we're getting out of the, the crazy world. And they stop, and the engineer says, uh, you guys can get off and, and rest your legs for a minute, walk around, then we'll get back on in a minute. And so we got off, and we went over there, and somebody threw up a card table. And uh, they sat down and said, let's, let's play a little cards while we wait. And I was sitting at the table, and they dealt a hand of cards. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a, wait a minute, guys. I mean, we're on our way to heaven here. Do we really want to gamble at this junction? <laughs> and I was like to, fixing to tell these guys, y'all are crazy. And I looked at my hand of cards. It was, hey, this is a pretty good hand. And I said, well, just one, one hand of cards. Well, I'll play one hand. And I was thinking if I win, I'll give them all their money back and tell them how wrong they were. And so I said, hit me again and hit me another card. And the next time I looked up, they were gone. And the train was gone. And I had gotten duped because I hadn't remained faithful to the end. That's a pretty awesome dream, isn't it? It wasn't awesome for me. But to the first question, let's talk about how we're going to remain faithful to the end. Let's talk about it. Do you know what time it is? I wish Gary was here because he always asked that question. If they knew what time it was. 
That's all he wants to talk about. Do you know what time it is? Gary would tell you right now, in Syria, the Russians have troops, the Americans have troops, the Syrians have troops, the rebels have troops, Turkey, Turkey has troops. All these armies are fighting each other. And in the end, it says that Damascus will be uh, laying a ruinous heap, never to be inhabited again. And right now we know Damascus is still inhabited. So that's yet prophecy to be fulfilled, but we're right here on the brink of it being destroyed. I mean, just one misstep you see in the papers today. America's accusing Russia of shooting this down, and Russia's accusing America. I mean, where's the powder keg over there? Right there, next door to where Israel, where everything starts. Okay, do you know what time you're living in? Can you see the news? Can you be honest with yourself? Does it just feel like we've got another 150 years to go? Do you even believe that you'll be tempted before you go? That you'll, be, you'll face trials. Matthew 24, 24, Jesus says, False messiahs and false prophets will rise up, perform great signs and wonders, so as to deceive, even if possible, God's chosen ones. God's chosen one. That's us. Could we be deceived in the end? Apparently so. If we don't stay diligent and know what time we're... He says, see, I have warned you. Say, warned you. About this ahead of time. God doesn't want us caught all unawares. But we can't go to sleep, people. Jesus had warned his disciples over and over that they were about to... You know, what was about to happen, that he was going to be killed on the cross. But they just... They were only half-heartedly listening. They weren't paying attention. They didn't believe it was coming. It was like in the days of Noah. You know, they were giving in marriage and, and having a good old party time. But they didn't realize it was about to rain. They didn't realize. Even in the garden, he told them, y'all watch and pray. Watch and pray. So you don't give in to temptation. But what did they do? They slept on. <laughs> he went out there and woke them up a couple times. Guys! But they couldn't, they couldn't pray one hour. And I think that's where the church is. We're asleep. Not this church, but a lot of churches are asleep. Don't know what time it is. Think that we've got all of eternity. But we're supposed to watch and be ready. Because we don't know what hour the strong man is going to try to break in the house. Be aware of the time in which we live. Things are changing at unprecedented speed here in America. Me and Dorinda was ministering at the mall Saturday. I just thought about this before I came out. We were ministering at the mall. Two police cars. Circling the parking lot, just watching us, wasn't they? They were just watching us. Obviously, somebody had called the police on us for ministering the gospel. And so they were probably just, they would stop and just watch us. They were seeing if we were trying to sell it, if there was anything they could get us for. They may have just been protecting us. I don't know. They never said anything to us. But they stayed out there for about 35 minutes, two of them just watching us. This is strange times, people. When you try to minister the gospel, you're praying with folks, you're loving folks, and they're wanting to arrest you here in America, strange times have befallen us. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you don't want to live a godly life, you'll probably be all right. <laughs> in hell... <laughs> But we want to live a godly life, don't we? So be, if you're not suffering persecution now, get ready. It's coming. Unless, of course, you're going to be one of those fringe Christians that don't, only people at church know you're a Christian. So once you know it's coming, I always like to say, make a firm decision on the front end. I am a firm believer in making, 
I say go before God and say, God, with all this in me, I have decided that this is the way it's going to be. And I think when you carry something to God and make a firm decision on it, it, it just creates all kind of weight because now you have presented it to God and now he's going to give you power to help do it. You've made the commitment, he's made the commitment, and now it's much harder to break because you have said it out loud. You have made a firm commitment. I think we need to make a firm commitment of what we're going to do in the end times. I've often said you don't wait till you're in the back seat at the drive-in with, with some girl or boy when you're a teenager to decide whether you're going to have premarital sex. You make the decision, no, there's lines I won't cross. I'm not going to be alone with somebody in the dark, you know, and just see how, we'll just see how it goes. <laughs> we'll just go by our feelings. <laughs> no, you have to, you know, if you got problems drinking alcohol, you don't go to a bar and say you're going to witness. You know, just use common sense. There's lines I won't cross. You have to make those things, make up your mind on the front end. I have decided that I won't deny my Lord. No matter what the situation. No matter, okay, you're, you're starting to sound like Peter, Pastor. He said the same thing. He did it three times. Don't be cocky like Peter. I say it in all humility saying, with your help, God. And I pray for the Holy Spirit to strengthen me. I'm not saying it in a cocky way. I'm just saying it is my heart never to deny the Lord. And, and you have to make these decisions before the fear arises, before the situation comes to pass. You've got to know what you're going to... When, when the situation happens, you know, adrenaline's going, some, somebody's calling you out, somebody's, you know, about to shoot you or whatever's about to happen, you know, your flesh is going to act like it wants to if you hadn't already made up your mind. You have to make up your mind that I will never deny the Lord. I want to endure to the end. And you got to know what you believe is another thing. you got to know what you believe. So that means you got to read the Word. In the Word, it'll tell you what to expect. It'll tell you how to overcome. Know what you believe. Keep your spirit, man, built up. That, that Word is the bread of life. It feeds your spirit, man. And it's what makes you strong and gives you the courage to stand for Christ. If you're not reading your Word, you're going to be weak spiritually. And you're just going to cave. Stay with the pack is another thing you can do. God gave us the church for a reason. He wasn't just kidding about, you know, us coming together in a body. You can't, if you can't muster the faithfulness to be faithful at church in your Christian walk, if you're on again, off again, what are you going to do? When you're facing real persecution, it, there's not a courage switch you're just going to be able to flip on real quick. You're not just going to all of a sudden be Mr. Christian. How are you living now? That's going to determine how you're going to stand up under pressure. When King Nebo calls you into the office and says, deny the Lord or, or hit the furnace. Are you getting what I'm saying? Another thing, practice what you say you believe. Practice. These are practical steps. Look for opportunities to share your faith. Look for opportunities to conquer your fear of sharing your faith. Look for opportunities to, to work up a tolerance for confrontation. Some of us are so afraid that somebody's going to uh, what would you say? They're so afraid that we're that, uh, they're not going to like what we say if we tell them about Jesus. We're so afraid of confrontation that we won't say a word to anybody. And we make excuses and say, well, I believe that your religion is a personal issue. And we agree with the world. Yeah, the devil would love for you to believe that. But I, I know this other guy, his name's Jesus. He says, go and preach the gospel to the whole world. Work up a tolerance for confrontation. The more you talk to people, Dorinda, I'll keep, keep picking on you, but as we was ministering to people Saturday, wasn't it easier as we went? The first time you were there and we first people we talked to, you were probably trembling in your boots. But by the end of the day, you was like, well, let me tell you. you know. And she was right on them. 
She was all over it. And once you understand that people are just people and, and, and you get past the fear of man, that wall comes shumbling, that shawl comes tumbling down. The wall comes tumbling down and fear is gone and you just realize that you're just loving people. And that's not hard once you get a proper perspective. But you've got to, be, you've got to work on your boldness. It's something you've got to practice regularly. There's a, a need to stay filled with the Holy Ghost. Man, nobody's as bold as somebody filled with the Holy Ghost. Man, he is our comforter. He is our guide. He's our strength. He's, man, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you can do anything. He's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And uh, remember the parable of the ten virgins. Five of those virgins did not keep oil in their lamps. And when Jesus came back, I mean, when the, the uh, groom came back, they were gone trying to get some oil in their lamp, but it was too late. They got locked out. What does that mean, as Gary would say? What does that mean? What does that mean? I'm preaching Gary's message. He ain't even here to hear it. Y'all get on him. I want y'all to call him and tell him he, he missed his own message tonight. What does it mean that five of them didn't get to go? Is, is that a type shadow of the rapture to come? And those who are serving the Lord and full of the Holy Ghost and looking for his appearing and ready to go when he gets here, that they'll go in the rapture and the rest will be left behind to suffer the tribulation because they're just playing church? It says they're all virgins, implying that, and they all had lamps, Implying that they could be filled with oil. Interesting parable. And then, Gary sang a song Sunday. This is Gary's message. Gary sang a song that he wrote. It, you remember the second song we played Sunday. Whatever's magnified will be magnified. Those are true words. What is your focus on right now? What are you magnifying in your life? You want to... You want a prediction? I'm no palm reader or astrologist or anything like that, but you want me to give you a, a pretty good prediction of what you're going to do in trials and tribulations in the future? Well, let's look at what you're doing right now. Where is your focus right now? Are you scared to die? When we talk about end times, are you scared? You need to let his perfect love drive out that fear. You need to get to know him. Are you only concerned with your reputation and human praises? Are you, man, you're a people pleaser. You, you got to have everybody telling you how good you are. That's what you're seeking after in this life. Is it money? Is it keeping up with the Joneses? Is it fame? What, what are you concerned? What are you magnifying right now? Because whatever you're magnifying at this point in your life, it's who you are, and it's who you're becoming. Is your life just about how can I be as comfortable as possible until this is all over? And I can't tell you how many people, that's their goal in life. Man, we're, we're saving up for retirement. I know I'm only 21, but when I get 65, by gosh, you know, that last 10 years of my life, I'm going to have this big RV. And I'm, not, and I'm never going any, we're just, man, we're just going to live it up the last 10 years of our life. They're, they're living for retirement. <laughs> Some of us are just living for comfort right now. You know, how soon can I get off work and get into the lazy boy? Really. And I mean, we get in those ruts. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that you've lost focus on why you're here. What's your goal? What's your purpose in this life? It's not to live your life by the TV guide. I, I shudder to think how many people, including myself, are going to have to answer to God for how come we spent so many hours staring into a box. Watching somebody else live their life. Instead of going out and living our own. We're going to give an account. And I just condemned myself because I, 
I'm, I'm of the TV-watching generation. I still watch TV. The kids, they're on the phone, you know. They could care less about TV. They got everything they need on their hand, in their hand. But either way, whether it's a little box or a big box, we're just staring into a box. And it's wasting heartbeats and breaths that God gave us to be fruitful with. And, Pastor, you just need to go home and close down. You're hurting my feelings. I'm hurting my own feelings. Okay, so in our text in Dan, Daniel chapter 3, and verse 19, we'll go back to that. Everybody take a deep breath. I still got time to turn it around like Mark, you know. It says, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into that fiery furnace. What would you do? Maybe you said your piece to King Nebuchadnezzar and you meant it, but then now you're getting close to the flames and you're tied up. And you're, oh, okay, I, I was just kidding, King, King. The thing was seven times hotter. The, the three guys, the, the big guards that he had time up went to throw them in and they all died because the heat was so tremendous. That's what it's a, that is the deal. Are we going to be able to stand the heat when it comes? When you're on Oprah Winfrey and she's agreed to push your book if you soften your tone a little bit, are you going to cave? If you're under the lights of Larry King's TV show and he's asking you, so you really say that Jesus is the only way and all these good people are going to hell? What do you do? <laughs> when you're being called homophobic and bigoted, deplorable, <laughs> when ISIS has a gun to your head, are you a Christian? What are you going to do when the heat's turned up seven times? Well, they threw him in. And King Nebuchadnezzar's watching. He gets to look at him. Hey, how many guys we throw in there? They said three. He said, I, I see four. One of them dudes looks like the son of God. Jesus done got up in there with them. And they're moving around in there. The other three couldn't even throw the other ones in the door without getting burned alive. And they're moving around with no shackles on. <laughs> King Nebo calls them out. He says, uh, he gets as close as he, he says he gets as close as he can without him burning up. He got that thing hot, y'all. And this world can turn up the heat on us. <laughs> he says, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Bendigo, y'all come on out here. Y'all got some splaining to do. <laughs> they come out, not a hair on their head is singed. They ain't even smelling like smoke. Their clothes ain't burned up. And the king is shaking his head. In verse 28, he says, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King done changed his mind. He said, he sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's commands and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any other god except their own. He's saying that like he's commending them. He's the king that they defied. So even the pagans give props to Christians that'll stand up for what they truly believe. You remember that video we showed that time, that atheist? He was talking about, he was a famous guy and he was an atheist. He said some guy witnessed to him, had the nerve to unmitigated gall to come up to him and share a Bible with him and tell him that he loved him and tell him that Jesus is the only way. He said, I didn't believe none of that stuff, but I respected that guy. He said, I don't respect those Christians that won't tell me that, that they believe that if I die, I'm going to hell. But he respected a guy that was willing to, to, take, to have the nerve to come up and tell him the truth. See, even this king... He was wrong at first, but he had, to, he had to admit, man, these guys, 
They, de- they defied me, and their God came through. He says, therefore, I make this decree, if any people, whatever their race, nation, or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There's no other God who can rescue like this. He's had a 180-degree turn in his thinking of their God. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego again, even to higher positions than they had before. Every time these guys turn around, they're being asked to do something they won't do, and they won't do it, and they're supposed to be killed for it, and next thing you know, they're getting promoted again for their faithfulness by ungodly people. They're just going up the ladder God's way, faithfulness. But now, let's ask the question, what if God wouldn't have delivered them? What if as soon as they got close to that furnace, they melted just like the guards? Does that happen? Do people stand up for Jesus and get killed anyway? In Daniel 3.17, when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were talking to the king, he says, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace to God whom we serve, he's able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, are you getting that? Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. See, even if God wouldn't have rescued them, they were not bowing down to that statue. If you go in thinking that God has to rescue you or whatever, but what if you know God's not going to rescue you? What if God asks you to give up your life? What if you know you're fixing to get killed? You see, faithful people look forward to eternal rewards. Faithful people see more than just chickens pecking around. They understand that this life is that they're living. Look, look down on the carpet. Just pick out one of the specks. That's your 86 years or your 112 that you may live here on the earth. And imagine this whole earth carpeted with this same carpet. All the universe carpeted. That's like a day in heaven. And your life is a speck. We can't get too focused on the speck. We have to be eternally minded. We understand Man, if it were possible that I get a martyr's crown, it would be worth it to sacrifice your life. When you're truly, when you're truly heavenly minded, eternally focused, we, we believe what we say we believe. It's easy to say. Hebrews 11.33. Hebrews 11 is telling about all the heroes of faith and the Christian faith. It says, by faith these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle, and they put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the death. Woo! It's good serving the Lord. Man, we got the victory. Thanks be unto God, which gives us the victory. Man, we conquerors in Jesus' name. But then, right there in the middle of this text is the word but. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God so that they could be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after their resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground for their faith, you see. But all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. They chose to live their life for eternity and not for the day. 
So I wrote, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Make a firm decision. Or one day your fear is going to choose it for you. If you don't choose now, if you wait to the heat of the battle, your fear will make a choice for you. I can promise you. There were two martyrs, Christian martyrs, true story. They were about to be burned at the stake. One of them told the other one, I'll go first. He said, when I'm in the flames, he said, if God's grace is enough, I'll show you one finger so that you can know. So they put him on a pile of wood and they strapped him to the pole, put his hands behind his back. They lit the wood on fire and soon the, the flames were licking at his feet. They're coming up his legs. Before you know it, his whole body is on fire. And the other guy's watching to see. And he looks and he goes, Our God is more than enough. His grace is more than enough. Whatever you face in here, whatever trials come your way, you can endure it. He'll give you the grace to do so. He'll get in the fire with you. Even if you burn, he'll get in the fire with you. There's no temptation overcoming you. There's nothing that can happen to you that somebody hadn't already gone before and endured for Christ's sake. You can do whatever you need to do. You just need to make sure that you're willing and you are determined in your life that I will not deny my Lord under any circumstances so that we can all endure to the end. And we can hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.